I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be reviewing Season 1, Episode 18, Children Will Listen. So, one week later, here we are again, back in your ears, it's like magic. I know, it's like we never left. We (laughs) never left your minds. We were here the whole time. I am anyway, I'm that little voice inside your head. With that reoccurring nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) So today I'll be doing the overview kind of thing and Billy Ray will be doing the trivia. So have you got anything to start us off? So this episode was written by Mark Cherry and directed by Larry Shaw. The episode title, Children Will Listen, comes from the Stephen Sodheim musical Into the Woods. I called it last week. So I gave a listen to the song because I've heard it when I saw the film Into the Woods, but this was years ago, so I don't remember it. Mm. Some of the more interesting lyrics, which may or may not relate to this episode, were Careful the things you say, children will listen. Careful the things you do, children will see and learn. Children may not obey, but children will listen. Okay. And, yeah, I think that sums up the parents. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a theme. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The French title for this particular episode is Les Enfants Chamboletaux, which translates to Children Upset Everything. (laughs) (laughs) As two childless gay people, we agree. (laughs) We have very, like, we have a high standard of living, and children will just come in and ruin that. Both Leslie Ann Warren, who appears in this episode as Susan's mother, and Terry Hatcher, who plays Susan, of course, have played the role of Lois Lane. Oh Um, my god, really? Yeah. Yeah. Terry Hatcher played it in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. It's a TV show, right? Yes. Yeah. And Warren in It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. What the hell is that? I don't I don't know what that is. I've never um, heard of that. No offence, love. I got this information from a site that I haven't been on called TV.com. It doesn't say who wrote it, so I don't know if it's entirely credible. It looks like it might have been like one of those things where you can just edit yourself. Also, fictional housewives read fictional magazines in this episode. Susan is seen with a copy of Dazzle. Her mother enjoys Dream. Gabrielle browses through Trendy. And Brie finds a new edition of Women's Circle in her mailbox. Mm. So I quite liked that. Each housewife has their own kind of magazine that they like and yeah. it kind of represents them a little bit, especially um, especially Gabby with Trendy. Yeah. And then finally, in the original script, the character Edie, who does not make an appearance in this episode, although she is mentioned, was supposed to have a storyline where she got in touch with her biological father, but that was later dropped. Oh, mm. that's quite sad. That would have been a nice storyline for Edie, I think. Yeah. Would have given us a bit more, you know, depth to her, so that's sad. Yeah. I just said a quick Google of it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Mm-hmm. So, um, according to Wikipedia anyway, and we all know how people can edit Wikipedia. So, 1966 musical composed by Charles Strauss, and while the show's original Broadway was well-reviewed, it did not catch on with audiences, so it was actually a Broadway show. But it was a Superman musical. They did do a television special, which is what starred Leslie Ann Warren. Oh, okay. Um, so, it's about its planet Superman was made into a TV special, which aired during a late-night time slot Nineteen seventy-five. Um, anything else? No, that's all. Okay, those are some good facts. I'm cool. So, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, let's get started with the episode. We'll do a quick previously. So, Juanita in the previous episode awoke from her coma, but sadly died in a tragic accident at the hospital, and so the hospital pays Gabby and Carlos off so they don't pursue any further legal action. Very telenovela. Very telenovela. Bree and Rex send Andrew off to a behavioural camp, and the chest that pulled through into the lake, which had like the body in it, has been found. Hmm. So now the police are sort of investigating that a little bit. Uh, So we start with Mary Alice discussing Gabby and how certain she was about how red was her colour and how diamonds go with everything and how she knew for certain that she did not want children. However, her husband Carlos feels very differently. 
we move a bit later on and Gabby is in bed with Carlos discussing how lucky she is to have him because he wants children and she doesn't, but he stayed and most, most men wouldn't. Carlos hopes Gabby will change her mind, but she reminds him that that's not possible. And Mary Alice continues by reminding us that Carlos has been tampering with Gabby's birth control for the past few months, and in exactly one month, Gabby would be pregnant. I mean, spoilers, Mary Alice. I've got a note about a reoccurring trope, not trope, a reoccurring thing that happens in this show, and that is a plot line is reopened episodes later, like loads of episodes later. Yeah, because back to a plot. we saw Carlos tampering with like Gabby's birth control a f- quite a few episodes ago, and then it was just never mentioned. Yeah. And they did the same with um, Paul hiding Hoover's jewellery in Mike's garage. And then we just never hear anything about it for a few episodes. And now I'm going to track that because so, yeah. it happens all the time. Something it does. will happen and then episodes later it comes back and it's like, remember me? Ruin its, rearing its ugly head. Yeah. But you thought you'd send the last of me. Title sequence. So, yeah, it's the weekend on Mysteria Lane and we move over to Paul's house where he's being questioned by police about a toy chest that Mary Alice purchased 12 years ago, which is the very chest that was found in the lake. Once again... Plotline reopened episodes later. It is another plotline reopened episodes later. <laughs> Straight away, another one. Immediately. The, the toy chest. Wow, they just back. they leave it. They just let people stew on things for a little bit. They just leave things to simmer while they start cooking other ingredients. Yeah. So Paul claims he doesn't remember the chest. The police don't really seem to believe him until Jack Jack? Who's Jack? <laughs> Who's she? <laughs> I don't know her. Until Zach comes to save the day and pretends the chest broke as a child. The police go to leave and they tell Zach that a chopped up woman was found in the chest and this shocks him, but Paul brings him inside to talk and Felicia sees like this whole thing from across the street yeah just staring in the background <laughs> yeah Zach like, is a worryingly cutting. good liar he is a worryingly good liar Paul on the other hand is not the police were seeing right through your foe I don't remember at all trash we didn't get one blah 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 you are lucky Zach was there to listen to this conversation and save your ass oh yeah he, he stepped up toy right. chest who's she <laughs> yeah <laughs> So they go inside and Zach accuses Paul of lying and Paul manages to convince him otherwise, telling him that a female PI came to try and take him away and they couldn't let that happen. I love how Paul manages to get away with his lie to Zach with a technicality. Paul's like, uh, actually, somebody did come to take you away. I just didn't say it was a woman. I know, he's giving <laughs> zero details to Zach about this person and Zach is just going along with it. But I think Zach is just on the edge of belief where he's like, I don't quite know if I trust this, so I'll just go with it for now. Yeah, Zach's, Zach needs to wait for sort of actual evidence to appear that Paul has been lying to him mm. as opposed to just his feelings at the moment which your feelings are very valid Zach he's definitely lying but yeah this story isn't adding up this ain't adding up at all Mm-mm. okay so Brie is telling Rex that she does not want to attend the counselling session with Andrew at Camp Hennessy but is busy preparing a care package for him in the meantime she feels that Andrew will just start attacking her when she arrives and she doesn't want that so Rex tells Brie <laughs> not to feel guilty and she tells him that she doesn't but not in a very believable way yeah I mean she's, she's kind of right <laughs> I mean she's totally right and what is it with these middle class middle aged people that always wear those beige trousers oh I know they're hideous and both Brie and Rex were wearing them in this scene <laughs> both <laughs> of them were wearing the same colour trousers and if it wasn't for the fit I would have said they were the same trousers like actually the same trousers it's like they're middle class to higher class unoffensive trouser yeah it's like i'm middle class and i love beige <laughs> look at me i don't know a color beige alert <laughs> you know Bree's moral compass is never quite facing the right way is it she's always like sneaking those lemon cakes into the box she's, she's very stingy about rules unless she thinks they're stupid oh yeah oh Bree's very sort of flippant about what rules can be obeyed and what rules can't be obeyed yeah <laughs> If she says the rule can be obeyed, then it's fine. If she breaks a rule, then it's fine. Because she's, she's done it with a reason. Typical good Christian woman there. Right? Ugh, religion. <laughs> 
Moving on. Lynette is on the phone to a teenage babysitter who's cancelling on her and she seems very stressed as she's preparing to go out with some old work friends and she can't blow them off. And this is clearly a big deal for her. I liked her dress a lot. I liked her dress. I hope she's taking out the little plastic rollers in her hair before she leaves though. Because that's not a look. That's like deconstructed hair. It's fashion. a pre-look. It's a what? It's a pre-look. It is a pre-look. Plus, what a cheeky 13-year-old. I know, right? This girl is a proper businesswoman. I know there's a lot of kids. And Lynette can't even control her kids, so let's not even consider what a 13-year-old could do with them. This naughty child has seized her moment. Yeah. Gabby turns up to find the attorney from the hospital is there talking to Carlos, who's surprised to learn about the money they offered Gabby in the previous episode. Ooh. And Carlos is not happy about not knowing about this. As soon as the attorney leaves, the yelling begins, <laughs> with Gabby telling him that she couldn't trust him to make the right decision. And Carlos proves her correct by telling her that he wants to use the money for his lawyers to fight the case so he doesn't have to do time. However, Gabby feels that Carlos d- does deserve a little time out. And she storms off telling Carlos that when he calms down, he will realise she made the right choice. And when that happens, she wants an apology. Gabby definitely didn't do the right thing. But if I was with Carlos, I would have done exactly the same. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like I said at the end of the previous episode. Like, I'm really proud of Gabby for doing that. But if the roles were reversed, I would be really annoyed if Carlos did it to Gabby. He proved her point right away. Straight away. I can't trust you to make the right decision. Oh, well, we would have used that money to fight the case. And that's the wrong decision, Carlos. Yeah, yeah. There is no case to fight. You deserve to go to jail. Yeah. Just accept it. So, yeah. Like, the plan almost worked, Gabby. And if only the hospital's attorney was also on house arrest, and then he wouldn't have been able to come over... And talk to Carlos. Oh, you're so angry. Oh, you're so angry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lisa Renner, for that moment. Susan is painting and we hear a car crash outside before Julie informs her that Grandma's here. (laughs) Susan goes outside to see that her mother has crashed into Mike. Mike introduces himself and Sophie, who's Susan's mum, freaks out with happiness at finally meeting the Mike. This is when Susan decides to tell her mum that they broke up. Oh, so messy. (sighs) Susan goes inside to call the insurance company and Sophie stands there flirting with Mike for a little bit before Susan turns back around and asks Mike what he's smiling about and Mike tells her basically, even though this is paraphrasing, that the apple doesn't really fall far from the tree. Yeah, I used to have all these questions and now I don't. (laughs) Now everything, the whole world just makes sense. (laughs) This was the perfect introduction to Sophie Meyer. They have done so well with the casting of Susan and her mum because they really do look similar and they behave similar. (laughs) She introduces herself into the show by crashing. But literally by crashing. (laughs) And like, the mum is like, oh, I haven't, you know me, I've got no depth perception. Bitch, why are you behind the wheel? If you have no depth perception and you crash into a person and go, oh, I'm really sorry, I've just got no depth perception. <laughs> Why are you behind the wheel? If politicians can do it. Oh! How? Yeah, but they just take like a 30-minute drive to a castle to test their eyesight. <laughs> yeah. How did this awkward, clumsy klutziness skip over Julie? I don't know. Maybe it's like, uh, maybe, Su- I was about to say Susan, maybe Julie takes more from Carl yeah. than from Susan, which also isn't that good of a thing because Carl's like a sleazy dirtbag. Oh, Julie has no hope. So I love how they walk away from the crash. Yeah. They don't move the car. The car is like vertical in the road. It's like completely blocking the road. And they just say, Mom, let's go go inside and call the insurance company. And they just walk away and leave the car and Mike. Oh, yeah. That's a really TV thing, isn't it? <laughs> That's a very much a TV thing. It's okay. The, the crew will sort out the car, guys. Let's just go. <laughs> So Brie is getting her mail when she sees Lynette running over to her from across the street. (laughs) She hints to Brie that she needs her to babysit and Brie really isn't up for it. But Lynette pulls out the big guns telling Brie that she's wearing pantyhose and this convinces her to actually help. I mean, the minute that Brie saw Lynette running over there with all those bags and all those kids, she was instantly like starting to walk back into the house like, just just keep walking, just keep walking. I 
wish we'd had that like in slow motion. You know, like you see slow motion Lynette running from across the street and then Bree's reaction in slow motion of <laughs> realisation. But I just think it would have been perfect. Bree looking after Lynette's kids is such a good idea for an episode. I love it. I mean, yeah. It's we, fantastic. We get a pretty decent episode. I enjoy this episode. I think it's a good one. In all fairness, we only get about five minutes of it. Yeah, that's true. Which is really a shame. Quite a missed opportunity. But the five minutes we do get, brilliant. Yeah, pretty fabulous. It's, it's pretty fabulous. So Susan is filling her mum in on the whole Mike is a killer thing, and her mum finds it hard to believe, and Susan tells her that she would have all but given up if it wasn't for her mum and her mum's boyfriend, Morty. This clearly upsets Sophie, who tells her daughter that her and Morty broke up because he shoved her. This shocks Susan, but Sophie believes that Morty may be cheating on her as his waitresses just keep getting younger and younger, and Susan basically calls her mum old. This offends <laughs> Sophie, who announces that people think they're sisters. Sophie tells Susan that the least she could do is believe her. Susan apologises, and Sophie tells her that Morty also threw a book at her, and again, this shocks Susan. I love the whole people think we're sisters, because that's the sort of thing that my mum would say with Jasmine. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Sophie's there like, you need to let that go to Susan, but it doesn't sound like Susan needs to let it go, because... Sophie was the one that brought it up. Yeah. She was like, people think we're sisters. She's like, that's because you keep telling them that. <laughs> oh my God, Susan, that was one time. You just need to let it go. Like, <laughs> And so the kids are colouring in. And well, I say colouring in. I use air quotes with that. And Porter is trying to steal some fresh baked cookies. Bree stops him, telling him to be patient while they cool, and he chooses to ignore this, and Bree catches him trying a second time, before dragging him away from the table with the others. She threatens to spank him if he tries again. The kids tell Bree they don't get spanked, and that their mums threaten them, but never actually goes through with it. And Bree warns them that she ain't their mama. <laughs> no, Bree, sorry. No, oh, no, sir. <laughs> Bree turns her back for a second, and Porter tries again, and this time knocks the whole tray on the floor. And this angers Bree, who tells Porter that his fate has been sealed. Yeah, and those were spanked. made from scratch. <laughs> those cookies were made from scratch. Your fate is already sealed. Bree should know, right? Yeah, this was a bad moment for Bree. <laughs> this really was a bad moment for Bree. Like, she, Bree should know, even Bree should know not to hit other people's children. Yeah, these are not your children. If you want to spank them, you should at least have had this conversation with Lynette already. Yeah. And I'm sure this would have come up. When you've been friends for this long, surely your parenting styles would have come up by now. Yeah. Like, the kids are all like, we don't get spanked, mum's full of crap. And even Bree's, like, <laughs> so shocked at the fact that someone doesn't hit their child. Yeah, she really should have known from this not to be spanking her mm. children. We don't get spanked. Bree's like, what? <laughs> there are people out there that don't hit their children? <laughs> This episode, so far, seems to be about how Bree's going to need to turn around her attitude. Yes. You know? Yeah. Sneaking in those lemon bars, spanking Ooh, children. Yep, second bad choice this episode from Bree. Mm. Sometimes you need to think about your actions, Bree. Yeah. You're not always going to be right. Oh no, and she always assumes she is. That's why you're most like her. Gabby is doing her nails when Carlos throws a post-nub onto the table, expecting Gabby to sign it, with the conditions being that if she tries to leave him whilst he's in prison, she won't get a cent of the money. Gabby refuses to sign the post-nub, shockingly, and Carlos tells her that she is very beautiful, but not very bright, threatening to divorce her if she doesn't sign it, which basically would mean that she gets half of their savings, which is basically nothing now. Yeah. Carlos tells her that he loves her and thinks that she is perfect, and as he walks away, Gabby tells him that she isn't, and that she continues by telling him that she burnt the passport and read the papers he asked her to burn instead. It turns out Carlos has a secret bank account in the Cayman Islands. This, obviously, angers Carlos, and Gabby threatens to tell everyone about his account if he mentions divorce, trust, or post-nup ever again, and she walks away. Carlos throws a vase against a vase? Vase? 
I hate that word. I can never realize, I never realize how to pronounce it. <laughs> he throws a flower holder against the wall, and Gabby tells Carlos it hurts to lose before leaving. Like, again, second scene with Gabby where her, the last thing she has to say is sass, and it's delicious. Yeah, Carlos is a sore loser. Also, our post-nup, this is just another instance of Carlos showing that he has little trust or respect for Gabby. Yeah, like, it feels so random. Like, he just drops it there. Like, for Gabby, it must feel so random. Yeah. Like, she's just there, flicking through a magazine or whatever. Oh, no, she's um doing her nails at this point, isn't she? Well, she she doesn't know that Carlos sent her, his mum on her to watch mm. her, does it? Does she? Going back to what you said about respect. The end of the previous episode, Carlos literally had Gabby in his arms telling her that he lost his respect for her. And he was all like, oh, I, I gave more respect to my mother than I gave to you, blah, blah, blah. And now here we are again after he's, you know, apologised for it, not respecting her. Yeah, probably going back on himself there. Right? In like, I don't know, the space of half an episode. Why bother growing as a character if you're just going to go back? Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah, Carlos isn't coming across very good this season. So we move to poker and Sophie is excited to be at a poker party with the girls. Lynette thanks Bree for watching her kids and she tells Lynette that they had fun but Porter probably a little less because she had to spank him. Oof. And shockingly, Lynette is very upset as her and Tom do not believe in hitting their children. Which, to be fair, your kids sort of did tell Bree that. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't necessarily say, mum and dad don't believe in hitting us, but they've made it very evident that you don't hit them. Oh, the shock on her face. Bree did not know this, apologises, and tells her it will not happen again, but that she is somewhat surprised as her children are a handful. <laughs> again, this upsets Lynette, who turns the tables on Bree and her parenting by asking where Andrew is. Oof. Oh, sass. Just gonna chuck that in there. The girls try to defuse the situation, it doesn't really work, and Brie gets emotional and leaves, but Lynette refuses to apologise and storms upstairs to, I'm guessing, her bedroom. Yeah, Brie just digging that hole a little deeper with that comment. Brie Everyone does. knows they're a bit out of control. Not helping Brie. Like, Brie was doing so well. Her apology felt genuine, it felt, like, sweet, but then you just had to ruining it. Ruining it? Ruin it by commenting on Lynette's kids. Yeah, but that wasn't a good moment, Brie. No. <laughs> Another bad moment, Brie. Also notice that Edie's not here. No, Edie isn't here. I wonder Someone where she is. hasn't made up with Susan yet. Oh, true. <laughs> I mean, maybe she's just off meeting her biological father. Oh, yeah. But we will never know because it was cut. No, it was cut. So now all we can assume is that she's just angry at Susan and she's not. Yeah, they still right. haven't made, they up still over, haven't made up. Still haven't made up over Susan breaking the promise. It's sweet that the mum's included in the poker game, though. <laughs> Poor Susan is so embarrassed in front of her mum. She's like, poker's normally a lot more fun than this. Yeah, she's like, come on, unsubstantiated gossip is expected. And then all of a sudden the girls just go at each other. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, later on, Lynette is moaning to Tom about Spankgate. That's what I'm going to call it. And That sounds weird. I know. Telling Tom <laughs> that he better back her up. Tom, as per usual, wants none of the drama and is trying to remain very Sweden about the whole thing. And Lynette tells Tom that her mum used to beat her and her sisters and she will not do the same thing. Tom warns Lynette that the kids are getting smarter and will eventually realise that they outnumber them. Yeah, it was a nice little sprinkle of background information about Lynette there. I yeah, like that bit of backstory. Lynette peels the onion. But this explains why Lynette is very adamant against spanking the children, even though we don't need a backstory for that because people can be adamant on their children not being spanked and it's fine and I don't need a reason. They're your children. I'm not questioning it. But it was still a good little bit of background information. And we also now know that she has sisters and that maybe they don't have a great relationship with their mum. No, I mean, I think it, it gave us a bit more of an understanding of... Lynette's sort of Mentality. methods of raising her children a bit and maybe she has been a bit more lenient because of the strictness of her upbringing and that's why the children are quite wild now yeah so not necessarily so much the whole my mum beat me so I'm not going to beat my children it's very sort of I'm almost going to be extra lenient to make up for the fact that I didn't have that leniency 
I don't know. I think we've barely seen any leniency from Lynette. We, no, we've seen a lot of shouting from Lynette yeah. because she can't control the children. But shouting doesn't necessarily mean not lenient. Yeah. She's yelling at her children because the children don't listen to her when she talks calmly. Where's Super Nanny when you need her? Yeah. Oh, I'm right here. Oh, you guys need my help. I'm on my way. What a crossover. <laughs> what a crossover. That would be great. I'd go for that. I'd definitely watch a Super Nanny Desperate Housewives episode. Zach is on the porch playing guitar and Felicia asks him to help her with her bags and we then cut to Zach inside Mrs. Huber's eating banana bread. Felicia tells Zach she heard him and Paul arguing and asks if everything was okay. She proceeds to tell Zach that she knew Mary Alice years ago back in Utah and that she knew Zach when he was a baby and she tells him that his mother loved him so much and that she remembers that the most. Mm. She then tells Zach that she thought his original name was lovely, Dana. Boom! Damn! Oh girl, now we know who Dana is, and Dana is a boy. Who calls their son Dana? Plot information dropped. Right? The mystery of Dana has been uncovered. A little bit. Yeah. There's still a big old mystery here of what the hell's going on, but we know that Dana was a baby, and that baby isn't dead, it's alive, and it's Zack. Yeah. Who was originally called Dana. Ugh. Like, Dana is not a boy's name. I'm sorry. It does not matter how you try and sell it to me. I'm not buying it. Okay? Dana is a girl's name. <laughs> so this kind of starts a new plot point, which is Felicia's manipulation of Zach. Which yep. we're going to see a lot more of. And we get that nice Felicia sass when she says that this is where good taste goes to die. Like, listening to her read her dead sister is perfection. Yeah. <laughs> like, even in death, Martha doesn't get a break. <laughs> <laughs> Zach's like, oh, I've never been in here before. And she's like, this is where a good taste goes to die. <laughs> Amazing. She's so smart. She knows exactly how to play the game. Get to Zach because he's a weak link. Paul is already suspicious about you. Zach is just unstable. So get to Zach. Okay, Susan is at the spa with her mum trying to convince her to call Morty to work things out. And Sophie yells out quite loudly that she doesn't want to get back with a man who openly abuses her. <gasps> Much to the shock of the pedicurists. <laughs> but Susan informs them that her mother over-exaggerates, so don't worry. You don't need to sigh. Gasp. Sigh. <laughs> you don't need to gasp. My mum over-exaggerates. The pedicurists are like, ugh, oh, again. <laughs> This is the moment Sophie decides to tell Susan that she thought she could move in with her. Susan kicks the pedicurist in shock, breaking her nose, potentially. We don't really know, we can assume that. Sophie leaves, upset that Susan isn't excited to be a 40-something-year-old living with her mother again. Yeah, oh, what an uncomfortable scene. <laughs> oh, it's really uncomfortable. Terry Hatcher does physical comedy so well. Yeah. Like, that whole kick in the pedicurist <laughs> in the face and then her reaction afterwards was just hilarious. Oh, she's fine. It's uncomfortable, but just brilliant. I know that you were shocked, Susan, but couldn't you have just not kicked her in the face? Yeah, I don't get Like, <laughs> you, you flung your leg out like a doctor hit you on the knee with one of those little hammer things. Yeah. Your leg just <laughs> flings out. Why did she do that? Why didn't she just not do that? I don't know, because no other part of her body, like, flung out. It was just a leg when she goes, what? And then she just kicks her leg out. How self-centered are these women finishing up their conversation while the pedicurist is bleeding out of her face? Yeah, they're just like carrying on a conversation and Sufi's like, Sufi? Susan is like pushing the pedicurist's head back. Just holding her head with something like a, a tissue like a to, her, to her nose. And she's just sitting there screaming in pain and they just carry on their conversation. Oh my God. The mum is so extra. <laughs> like, why would I want to go back to someone who abuses me? It runs in the family, I guess. I mean, oh my God. And the way she runs away... <laughs> And then she's giving me like Anna Faris and Scary Movie vibes or Phoebe Buffay in Friends and that episode where she runs. Is it because of her toes being just painted or something? It, maybe actually. Or like, does she have those things in between her toes? Possibly. I couldn't tell why she was running that way. She's obviously barefoot. So I'm assuming she's just had her toes painted. And then she runs with her arms up in the air. So I'm guessing she's just had her fingers painted too. I mean, they are, they are pedicurists. It would make sense. Yeah. 
Gabby is out jogging when she sees John on the other side of the street and he goes to cross over and say hi, but she stops him and she turns around and runs in the opposite direction. Topless John alert. Topless John alert. It was a very short scene and seeing John would make me stop too. This is the best topless John we've had. Over those shorts. Yeah, well, yeah, but you need like loose jogging shorts, don't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, I guess. How else are you going to like see the imprint? It just, oh, it just wasn't a great look. I mean, it was a perfect look from the waist up. Yeah, the waist up was fine. Do you remember those little iPods? Oh, that you could get, like, on your arm? Yeah, like, little... Nanos. It, yeah, Nano or a yeah. Shuffle or something, yeah. Oh, yeah, iPod Shuffle, yeah. Go on, I hate them. Back. I didn't like any iPod that didn't have a screen. I'm, I'm going to have to call that out, yeah. That is a old tech alert. That is an old tech alert. A real old tech alert. Real old. <laughs> real old. We've progressed so far in... 14 years. <laughs> yeah, now we just do it on our phones. Yeah, just have everything on our phones. Just get Spotify, you uncultured swine. <laughs> Brie is in the middle of a mental breakdown as she can't decide what to wear. She wanted to wear Andrew's favourite colour, but she realised that she doesn't actually know it. This seems to bring her shame as she believes she isn't a good mother as she doesn't know her own son well enough. Rex tells Brie that she is a good mother and goes to wait in the car for her and Brie eventually decides on green. I'll go with green. Everybody loves green. All I'll say is, in all fairness, Brie, Andrew doesn't open up to you enough for you to know what his favourite colour is as a young adult. No, and no one's favourite colour is green. Yes, it is. <laughs> not not everybody likes green, Brie. Green is a very basic colour. Green's very nice. Mm, okay, it's okay. It reminds me of fungus. It is nice to see Brie and Rex's marriage working for a change. Yeah. Like, we've had it for a couple of episodes, obviously. But like, at the beginning of the season, immediately it was struggle with their marriage. Like, we didn't even see a nice moment with Brie and Rex. It just went straight into I want a divorce talk and all of that sort of stuff. So it's nice to finally see them working as a team. And Rex sitting there and respecting her and being like, you are a good mother. Yeah, I'd blah, say blah, blah. so. So I think it's it's refreshing to see that. Yeah. Gabby is flipping through a magazine and Carlos drops a post up on her lap again, threatening to divorce her again. This will be Trendy Magazine. The main well, magazine. This is Trendy Magazine. <laughs> Gabby threatens to go to the police about the bank account, but Carlos admits that he moved the money because he couldn't let her make a fool out of him. Gabby starts to panic and tries to run away, but Carlos grabs her, sits her down at the table. He grabs her wrist, hurting her in the process, and he grabs her around the throat with his other hand and screams in her face to sign the paper. Gabby is left at the table crying, and Carlos says, I know, baby, it hurts to lose. Oh, and Gabby grabs loser. her bag and storms out. They're both sore losers. They it's really are both sore losers. It's a dark scene, trigger warning. It is um, a real dark scene. But also trigger warning for, well, with the foreseeable future, because this kind of begins a cycle of abuse that we do see with Gabby from men. How do you mean? Well, Carlos is abusive, her stepdad was abusive. Oh, well, yeah. It's yeah. a cycle. And we already know about her stepdad, don't we? Yes. That was mentioned in a previous episode. Hinted yeah. on, at least, anyway. Not, like, discussed in heavy detail. So, yeah, poor Gabby gets a bit of a hard go of it, to be honest, sometimes. Gabby does get a hard go of it with men. I feel for her. I yeah, Carlos her. went too far. The scene does anger me, though, because nobody should treat Gabby like that. No one should treat anyone like that. Well, no, I know, but it's Gabby. <laughs> it's my Gabby. Oh, and poor Eva, because I bet she came away from that scene with her ears ringing like crazy. Oh, he probably shouts in her ear. He, like, screams it in her ear. Say that! Poor Eva. Moving on to a, well, it's not really a happier scene, but it's a scene all the same. Brie and Rex are at the camp <laughs> when an employee comes out and tells them both that Andrew does not want Brie to come in and he only wants Rex. Rex tells Brie they'll leave if Andrew isn't interested in having both, but Brie tells Rex to just go in without her and she'll wait outside as she knows Andrew is blaming her for all of this. Oh, he's such a brat. Brie seems to hold a lot of guilt and tells Rex that Andrew is right, but Brie reminds her that any problems that were made were made by the both of them. Uh, Andrew and Brie see each other briefly, and she waves at him and he just ignores her. Closes the door. It does close the door. Like a lot of doorway scenes they've had. He is. He's like closing the door on parts of his life. Oh, he's so such a... he doesn't want Brie to know about. 
He's such a bright in this scene. Maybe he's very metaphorical. Yeah. Like, he's closing the door on that room. That room is, like, everything that Andrew is that Bree doesn't know about. Yeah, 100%. So, oh, he's such a brat. Bree, like, is proper judgy with these women. And a couple of the women, like, I think... That hasn't happened yet. That has happened. Oh, what'd she do? She, like, looks all girl up and down because all she's got is tattoos on her shins. <laughs> she's wearing a fairly nice dress. It's like a little, you know, black and white polka dot dress. Just a simple dress. And she's got two massive tattoos on both of her shins, which are showing. And Bree just sits there and is like... Oh, yeah, I think that's one of the teenagers that was at the camp, I think. I think so. Yeah. Bree, like, you guys can't see the face that I've just pulled. But she, like, proper looks her up and down in a judgy way. And there's no need to be judgy about that. They're just tattoos. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. People have tattoos. That's Bree for you. Mm-hmm. The kids are at the toilet calling for Lynette, and it appears that Parker dropped his toothbrush in the toilet. Lynette tells the others to start brushing their teeth, but Preston lifts the toilet lid up and threatens to drop his in too, and Lynette realises that she's lost control of her children, so she decides to threaten them with Brie instead, and that quickly calms him down. <laughs> yes, it does. The perfect tactic, using Brie as a scare tactic. Like, when did Lynette actually lose control? Because from the beginning of this season, Lynette's not had control of her children. But I think she had just a little bit of control with the threatening of hitting them with objects, but now they've seen through it. That's true, because there is a scene where she threatens to hit them. Like, two episodes ago, I think it was. Love is in the air was the episode where she threatens to hit them. Revisited plotline. <laughs> yeah. So, how much has happened in the space of a couple of episodes that the kids no longer believe her when she threatens to hit them? I guess she just kept threatening. Maybe. But, you know, kids are smart. Children will listen. Children will listen. They'll and, pick up on things. Yep. Children will learn. And empty threats, they will see eventually. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is she going to punish the other two for egging the third one on? I would. They're proper, like, egging Preston on to drop his toothbrush into the toilet seat as well. They're like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And she's, like, yelling at Preston. And she's like, back away. And no one gets hurt, Preston. Calm down. You don't want to do this. I'm, these aren't just empty threats anymore. I really mean it. But is she going <laughs> to yell at the other kids for egging him on? Oh, I just want to bang their heads together in this scene. Right? Little brats. I'd probably make Parker use his toothbrush anyway. Yeah, although he said that he was pushed. So I don't believe that at all. It comes across as not his fault, at least. I don't believe that at all. Fine. <laughs> Do you know what? I probably would have just let Preston drop his toothbrush into the toilet and then be like, great, now brush your teeth. <laughs> That's brilliant. Like, go on. You're going to be brushing your teeth either way tonight, so either do it with the toilet, with the brush in the toilet, or do it with the brush out of the toilet. I like that. I'm keeping you. I would do that with my child. They'll, they'll certainly learn again. I'll probably get my child taken away from me for child abuse, but they'll certainly <laughs> never do it again. Whatever family they go to after me, you're welcome. Well, in all fairness, <laughs> our toilet's clean. Our toilet is clean. Bree is sat outside waiting for Rex to be finished with Andrew and listening to the other white trash mums talking about their children and why they're here. And this is where Bree decided that she'd had enough and she storms into the meeting, telling Andrew that she has provided him with all the tools he needs to succeed and if he wants to hate her, then that's fine, but she is a good mother. This is where Rex tells Bree that Andrew thinks he might be gay. This proves a bit too much for Bree who panics and goes to wait in the car. This also kind of makes my previous notes a bit useless when I said that he was being a brat for not letting her in and blaming everyone on her, because that wasn't the issue. <laughs> But that's just how it came across when I was watching it. But um, anyway, I don't think it was very classy of Rex to out his son like that. Since um, that was Andrew's thing to say to his mum. Unless he asked him to, but we didn't see that, so therefore we can't know. We didn't see that, no. But I think we can assume that Andrew probably told Rex that he can tell Brie when they go home. Ah, but that's but why... I, we're making assumptions there. That's why I said, yeah, we didn't see it, so I can't speculate on that. No. And it also wasn't classy of Brie to say, well, you were right, and then go away in the car. Yeah. Because he said um, he thought I'd handle it better than you. And then Bree says, well, he was you right. You were right. I'm going to go wait in the car. And yeah. I thought that wasn't very classy of Bree. Yeah. I mean, Andrew's worry of Bree clearly not being able to handle it is correct. Yeah, completely warranted. So it turns out that earlier, him not letting her in was actually very understandable. Mm. 
But Andrew's behaviour to Brie up until this point is almost like he's blaming Brie for reacting like this to him being gay before she's even reacted to it. And so he's blaming Brie for doing something that we don't know Brie would do. We now know that Brie would do that because we've just seen it. But yeah. <laughs> he was blaming Brie for it before she'd even done it. Yeah, which I think in is actually kind of fair. Not always, but sometimes certain parents say things while you're there. They don't know that you are one of these people that they are saying flippant comments about. Mm. And that is a bit off-putting. It can be off-putting. It can be off-putting. But at the same time, it's not fair to punish, I guess, your parent when they haven't had the opportunity to react a certain way to information because you've not given them that information. And you could end up being surprised that your parents are actually quite cool about it. True. But I don't think that... I don't think Andrew's point was that she wasn't going to react okay necessarily, even though that's what he said, as much as it is, I've been brought up with you discrediting homosexuality. Mm. And I am one. (laughs) Yeah. It's like parents just automatically assume that their kids are straight, and so they'll say any old crap about gays and that way of life. Mm. People will talk about how they shouldn't be allowed to get married. They'll say the word faggot, and then... Their kid comes out and it's like, well, there you go. Maybe you shouldn't assume things. Maybe you shouldn't be so dismissive of people. You don't even know if your kids are going to be turned out that way. No, it's not. It's not really possible to say. You should just be raising your children with with as much inclusivity and love. Inclusivity or exclusivity? Inclusivity. (laughs) No, you don't want to exclude people. (laughs) Yeah, inclusivity and love um, as possible. Yeah, I think I don't understand that mentality of, oh my god, my kid has just told me they're gay. That's terrible. Because you should just be happy that your kids are who they are. Yeah. This is a human being. It's not up to you what they do. I mean, my mum never had a problem with me being gay. The only thing she didn't want me to do was dress up like a woman. (laughs) And she was very clear about that. Gosh. And she was, well, not very, I make it sound like she harped on about it. She didn't harp on about it. But when I came out to her, she was just like, I don't mind. I love you for who you are. Just don't dress up like a woman. (laughs) Which kind of contradicts, (laughs) kind of contradicts each other. I don't dress up like a woman unless you know, I'm in a show that requires me to dress up like a woman. I'm not a drag queen. I don't have the skills to be a drag queen, but all no, the patience. No. No. Oh. But um, I think Andrew has definitely grown up with well, his parents, but probably primarily his mum, saying that homosexuality is wrong and yeah. having that kind of attitude. Because Bree's very conservative. She's very religious. Yeah, it was no surprise that she reacted the way she did. It was no. just disappointing. It was disappointing, but an initial reaction doesn't mean everything. No, of course not. She has the opportunity now to prove to us that she can learn about inclusivity and learn about equality and accept her child for who she is. And I think that's going to now be Bree's storyline going forward. Hopefully. Which will be seeing her struggle with coming to terms of having a homosexual son and how she handles it. Will she be accepting of it or will she push him away even further? Like, Will she try conversion therapy? Or who knows? We'll have to find out. We will have to find out. John answers the door to find Gabby, who pushes him against the wall and starts getting on with him. She starts to undress, but when John sees her injured wrist, he goes to do something. I I don't know what he's going to do, but he plans to do something. And Gabby stops him, telling him that the best revenge is to sleep with her. And it doesn't really (laughs) take him much convincing. Oh, he goes to grab his jacket as if he's going to get into a fight with Carlos. Yeah, like, do you really think you're going to take on Carlos, John? This is very like, sweet, but very misguided. It was just like, where is he? No, I'm going I'm to go teach him a lesson. No, he can't get away with this. <laughs> we, go, we can't let him get away with this. <laughs> Gabby is right, okay? I just want to point out, the best revenge, sleep with her. It's very strange, because you automatically don't want to like Gabby, because she's been cheating on Carlos from the get-go. But as we've gone on, we've started to 
gain more understanding as to why. And it's now got to this point where actually I look at Gabby and go, do you know what? You do you. You know what? You're so right. It's amazing how you get such a such an, an idea of a character from your first instant. Like you look at Gabby and you think that is so wrong. He's not perfect, but that is so wrong. Mm. But then as his abusive, violent side grows, you really start to understand. Yeah. And it's actually, it's got to the point now where I can forgive Gabby for doing it because, do you know what? You've got to do whatever you can to find the little bit of happiness that you can to keep you going in this world. Yeah, it's like, we don't think what you're doing is right, but I get it, and you do you, boo, because that guy's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should just leave him. I also want to say, if this was a teen drama, like oh. uh, Teen Wolf or Riverdale, One Jesse Metcalf would be contractually obliged to be shirtless most of the time. Oh, definitely Riverdale. Right. Like, the, the men in Riverdale, KJ Apper in Riverdale, I think it's in his contract that he has to be shirtless for, like, 95% of each episode. <laughs> and all those homoerotic werewolves in Teen Wolf, you know? Yeah, I've never watched Teen Wolf, so... If it, uh, yeah, but, you know, you know yeah, I, mean. I, I get, I get so, what you, you mean, You know, teen, teen show, Sabrina. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Harvey and Nick. Harvey and Nick. Preferably Nick. So if this wasn't if this was aimed at a younger audience, we would get a lot more topless John. <laughs> we would get a lot more topless John. It's a real shame. Susan has come to visit Morty at the restaurant with her mother, but she refuses to come inside until he apologises for pushing her and throwing a book at her. Morty tells Susan he only did it because she was hitting him. Susan tries to play matchmaker and Morty doesn't want Sophie back, so doesn't want to apologise, and Susan tells him that he has to take her back, so she doesn't move in with her and ruin her last chances at love. <laughs> she eventually convinces Morty to go outside and talk to her mum, but he isn't out there long before Sophie begins attacking him again. Yeah, and we don't know why, because we're still in the restaurant. We're in the in restaurant with Susan talking to one of the like employees yeah waitresses so we don't see it we just sort of see it in the background with that bumbly comedic music that happens when susan walks into this restaurant it's such a look she walks in looking like alanis morissette in the music video for ironic she's got that orange hat the orange beanie the big old jacket yeah. so oh served mm. <laughs> it was a very good look i did like it what well, i mean we didn't find out why he threw the book at her no, we didn't. We, we found think... out that, you know, he pushed her because she hit him and she hit him because he threw the book at her. But why did he throw the book? I think we can assume from what we've seen that... <laughs> she crashed her car into him? It was probably her fault. <laughs> it was probably, yeah. It was quite funny. I loved that line when he's... She said, she says you threw a book at her and he's like, it was only a paperback. <laughs> and she's like, even so. Paperbacks don't hurt at all. It's fine. <laughs> well, the yellow pages is a paperback. Oh, true. What was the size of the paperback? <laughs> Was it like an Old Testament, New Testament, like... <laughs> yeah. Was it a short story, or was it Stephen King's It? Was it, yeah, was it Stephen King's It or my copy of Animal Farm? Like, was, <laughs> was it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Game of Thrones? <laughs> so, um, Susan runs outside to sort of calm everything down, but ultimately we don't really get a resolution. We see, <laughs> we see, Sophie, we see Susan run outside and, and calm them down. But to be fair, the camera stays inside the restaurant and we watch the scene through the window. So we don't hear what's said. And then we just move on to the next scene. But there isn't really a resolution between Sophie and Morty. No, not really. We Maybe... just know that Susan's had a conversation with the one before saying she doesn't really want her to move in with her. So we can just hope that she'll sort it out somehow. <laughs> I'm hoping that Sophie is still there in the next episode. Yeah. And she doesn't just disappear. And then it feels like there's a whole side of the story that didn't get an ending. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember either. So it'll be interesting to It'll see. probably be a plot line that's revisited in like 10 episodes. <laughs> probably. She'll just come downstairs in Susan's house 10 episodes later. <laughs> and Mary Alice will casually mention it. <laughs> as if it was there the whole time. Brie goes out to put mail in the mailbox again and sees Lynette. It's awkward and Brie turns to go inside before Lynette crosses the street to apologise. Brie stops her, telling her that she should be the one to apologise and they go into Lynette's to bitch about their kids. Yeah, it was really nice of Susan to make that first move. Susan? Sorry. 
This happens. It was really nice of Lynette to, you know, walk over and make that first move. It was, and it was really nice of Brie to just stop her and yeah. be like, the fact that you've just crossed that street means more to me yeah. than anything, so you don't need to apologise. I love a good apology scene. I love a good apology scene, especially when there isn't really an apology, and that both people have just been like, we both overreacted. Well, Brie saw that she was wrong, and then yeah. Lynette made an opportunity out of this. <laughs> she did. Lynette realised that now Brie's given her something else. The scary parent role. Yeah. Bree's that witch across the street now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we move to the ending, and Mary Alice discusses children and how they brighten our days, test our patience, give us purpose, and take care of us. Aww. The episode ends with Bree looking at an awful photo of Andrew. Oh, it's so bad. Real bad, guys. It's like Felicia's old picture. Yeah. And then a quick shot of Gabby and John making babies. Yeah. Unknowingly. They don't realise, obviously, but I think now we're at the stage where we can assume that the baby is either going to be Carlos's or John's. She sleeps with Carlos at the beginning of the episode, John at the end. Yeah, I mean, the drama isn't when she's eventually going to find out she's pregnant, which we all know is coming because oh, yeah. Carlos is messing with her pills. Yeah, she'll figure it out. Which is so wrong. So wrong. But the dramas are going to be, whose baby is it? Yeah. Is he going to come out with... John's face or Carlos's. I like <laughs> If he comes out with a beard, we know that it's Carlos's. Yeah, if he comes out with pecs. It's John's. And it's John's. Even though Carlos has pecs too, actually. True. Could be either. We don't know. So it's, I think it's good because obviously the cliche story will be, oh my God, when's she going to find out she's pregnant? Yeah. But now it's immediately, no one cares about that. Everyone just now cares. Oh my God, is it Carlos's or is it John's? And how will we find out? And if it is John's, will she tell John? Or will she just pretend it's Carlos's? Oh, the drama. Or should keep it in the first place? Like, what's going to go on? The layers. <laughs> Peel the onion. Yeah. So, that is the end of season one, episode 18. Children were better. Woo, we did it. We did do it, yes. Yeah, so let's move on to the segment where we talk about the title. Yes, children and, will listen. Well, we say that, but normally it's generally the themes of the episode which we relate to the title for some reason. Yeah. But I think um, upon listening to the song and reading the lyrics, I get this a lot more. Because when I saw that the title was called Children Will Listen, I, I just thought, will they listen? But I wasn't taking in the literal meaning of the title, as in children listen to what you're saying and they mm. will learn things. Yeah. It's very, it's very parent-orientated, this episode. It's very much focused on the relationships between parent and child. You've got Andrew and Bree, and you've got Lynette and her spawn. <laughs> Susan, and then, but then we get a twist... With Susan and her mum, with Susan, the housewife, being the child. It's interesting, yeah. Like, um, Susan has inadvertently learned um, some odd genetic mannerisms about how klutzy she is. Mm. There's also the underlined moment of um, how Andrew has sort of learned how to be closed off in the way that Bree's learned to be closed off from her upbringing. Yeah. So he's listened and he's learned that from her. Yeah. No, that is, that is really true. I've not, not even thought about that. I've not considered it. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see how all the children are turning out and in relation to their parents and what they say and do. It's sad because even as a children-centred episode, we didn't get any Danielle. No, she's there's, so neglected. There's zero Danielle in this episode. And we got like a couple of minutes with Julie. Julie got one line in this episode. Grandma's here. <laughs> upon, <laughs> and that's literally it. Upon re-examination of season one, I can see why Danielle turns out the way she does. Yes. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Danielle also has a bit of a rocky road yeah. ahead of her. Not and the ice I, cream. I, I agree with you there. Mm. So, yeah, it was a very um, parent and child-centred episode. Let's move on to Joel's segment of the best and the worst outfit. And what would you like to start with? The best one? Um, let's get the worst one out of the way because I don't have one. You don't have a worst one? I don't have a worst outfit. It was really, really difficult for me to pick a worst outfit this episode. I was really looking and really trying to be quite nitpicky. Okay, I just I assumed really you were find... going to go for the beige trousers, but okay. I mean, yeah, they weren't great, but they were so minute 
within the episode and I'm a little bit like I eventually started looking at background characters and was just like that that's not going to work I can't look at the background characters and be like oh uh, um 30 minutes 17 seconds there's a person in the background shot with this wearing a hideous dress like, I can't be like that so if I can't find a hideous outfit with the the central characters of the episode then I'm just going to say there isn't one for today okay so we can't use the sting then we can't use the sting today oh which is a shame but we don't want to overuse it anyway it's fine right guys i thought so they said no they, they don't agree not. with you don't you don't, you can't speak for them okay. so rude i know half of them so i know the other <laughs> but best outfit best outfit i think will go to susan when she goes into the restaurant looking like early alanis morissette because who doesn't love alanis morissette fair enough it was a look and a half it was a look and a half and we're giving a shout out to you alanis morissette because we absolutely love you and go listen to her new album those colors did work all right as well the orange hat the blue jean jacket yeah Oh, it, it was so it was so 2000s. It it was weird to see it because I almost think it sort of de-aged Susan oh, yeah. a little bit and made Susan appear like a child. I get that again in the scene. So I thought it was very clever costuming from. Oh, I can't remember who does the costuming. No idea. Oh, it's in the book. Oh well. It's very clever costuming from the costume department of Desperate Housewives because it was. I I see what you did there, girls. You didn't give her a frumpy okay. green jacket. You did not give her a frumpy green jacket. <laughs> You didn't give her a frumpy jean bracket. <laughs> you didn't. I appreciate the lack of green in season today. So also well done for that. It passed over to Bree. It did pass over to Bree. So who are your picks for worst and best parent? Oh, who yeah. Are you doing, what are you doing first? My segment. So I'm going to start with the best parent because I always do. Okay. So my pick for... Best parent of the episode. My pick for the best parent for this episode has gone to Lynette, who finds a way to threaten her boys, that actually works. Okay. That's a development and a half. That is a development and a half. Yeah, but there is no other reason. (laughs) It was slim pickings. It was real slim pickings today. Worst parent of the episode. The worst parent, I was really tempted to give it to Susan's mum because of everything that's happened and what's happening in this episode and the way Susan's turned out. You could have given it to Susan's mum. There's nothing stopping you. But I gave it to Brie. That doesn't surprise me. No, but I gave it to Brie because she spanked someone else's child for one thing, Mm. which these days is is quite a no-no. I don't know if this was okay back then. It was not. It was not okay back then. You can sit there and say it was okay or you want, but I am right here to tell you right now, this second, it was not okay in the mid-noughties to spank. Didn't think it was. Spanking other people's children is not your call. No. But also how uncouth she handled the situation with Andrew being gay. Mm. Very It's a shame because there was a moment where you almost root for Brie because she really did try. It was like she it's... kind of found her ground. Yeah. It, it felt like she, she at the beginning of the episode, she wasn't even going to try. She wasn't going to go to Andrew's counselling. She didn't want to feel attacked. She, she didn't want to go all Laganja on us. But towards the end, you saw that there was effort made there. She turned up, she looked nice, she made him this care package, and then all of a sudden it went out the window again. Yeah, she was so willing to walk in there and say, I'm not a bad mum, you're lucky, I've seen those other mums, I have no poker face. <laughs> and then continued to be a bad mum. <laughs> and then, bam! Ugh. Yeah. So that was Season 1, Episode 18. Children will listen. If you join us next week, we'll be doing Season 1, Episode 19, Live Alone and Like It. One week will roll by and we'll be back in your ears, on your computers and your phones. We'll be there. It is crazy. We're near the end of Season 1 now, guys. Yeah, we're nearly at the double digits. Wait, we're already already at the double digits. Sorry. (laughs) Bumpkin. Not what I meant. (laughs) We're nearly at the big 2-0. We have nearly hit the big 2-0. Two sets of 10s. Like, yeah. oh, 
Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's like 23 episodes, I think, in this season. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hate that. Um, oh, okay. It's an odd number. <laughs> so if people would like to contact us and get onto our socials, Joel, where? When? Where can they find us? Ah, um, so, well, you weren't very specific, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. Yes, um, I would recommend rolling over to there and seeing our little in-depth character descriptions that we've done for the four main ladies now. Yes, I've been doing Get to Knows. Officially, all the four main characters are done, so now I can move on to some of the, the husbands and the sides. I think Mary Alice will be next. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. You can also email us at boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and our artwork is done by our friend Louis who you can find on Instagram at docredmonkdesign. He also has a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions. At the moment he is doing some new artwork inspired by the game Dead of Winter. Okay. So that's what he's working on at the moment. He's done some of that in the past and it's always looked amazing. So keep your eye out for that as well because I know that he's getting really excited about the outcomes of that. That's cool. That's really cool. I like that. Board game fan pictures. I yes. like it. Thank you so much for listening and like we said, we will see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.